0: Hey, 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 what's good, everybody? This is Bashiri. You are now listening to the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. Of course, as per usual, I greet you in love, peace, and confrontation. Black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's get out here and be the light. Let's recognize uh, that we are the solution, uh, that we are. The answers that we have been praying for. Uh, Ultimately, we are the gods that we seek. All religions be damned. If it doesn't serve you, you shouldn't serve it. Uh, Let's take full advantage and fully embody uh, and incarnate the inexhaustible energetic ingenuity that is resident within the melaninated mind and overall black experience. What's good, y'all? Black man. Black woman, black babies, love, peace, and confrontation. This is the seventh episode and the third installation of a series that is dealing with the the space of why the civil rights movement has been a failure. Why the Civil Rights Movement has been a complete and utter blunder and failure. And we are continuing our exploration into the dynamics of such a provocative topic. I know that may be offensive to some of my listeners. Um, And I just want to, again, offend us and provoke us into thinking critically and to reflecting very deeply upon matters that concern um, in very significant ways our very um, biological survival, as it were, uh, as a group. And so um, in the last podcast, I think I left off um, with a sort of cliffhanger about what we'd be uh, exploring, uh, particularly as it pertains to the failure of the civil rights movement uh, in this episode with respect to um, the politics of morality. And uh, throughout the course of the week, you know, I'm always having conversations and dialogues and I'm trying to uh, really ascertain the pulse of the community and uh, the overall collective consciousness of our group and you know where are we what are we doing how do we see ourselves how do we see um, our opposition how do we see our current status with respect to uh historical antecedents and and, and precedents and how they have shaped uh the current context um, and, and and what's going on with us and so you know uh, in the course of having these different conversations and and being willing to have the um, courageous dialogue, so to speak, and, and, and engage in um, what would be, uh, again, like I said, very intriguing discourse and, and, and provocative exchanges with members of the community. Um, it, it seems that it would be uh, expedient and appropriate uh, for us to kind of deal with uh, three prominent P's. And I, and I want to kind of look at uh, the politics uh, of piety with respect to poverty. And so in order to do that, we we always have to establish um, the uh, socio-historical, uh, socio-political, um, psycho-political and psychodynamic um, uh, factors, right, uh, that shape the conversation, right? that really serve as the seedbed uh, that has given or has yielded the caliber of harvest or lack thereof, however uh, you uh, perceive it as such, Uh, with respect to uh, uh, the current iteration, right? And the current uh, permutation of oppression. And we're always talking about within this, uh, in the American context, we're talking about of course um uh white oppression we're, we're talking about systemic inequity we're talking about uh uh hegemony we're talking about oligarchies we're talking about um white supremacy and ultimately racism right we're talking about racism uh but of course uh we are divorcing our uh, discussion and treatment of racism from its Uh, emotional uh, preoccupation and referent. We understand that racism, again, is an economic enterprise uh, employed by the powers that be in order to procure vital life resources over and against uh, the development of the capacity or the capability of the targeted population to do likewise uh, within uh, the confines of of, of competition informed by a paradigm of scarcity. And so racism uh, is, uh, again, a, a tool. Um, it is a method that is used, again, in a competitive sense to maintain a competitive edge with respect to economics and, like I already said, with respect to the procurement of vital life resources incidental to that enterprise the racist enterprise of course we deal with bigotry you know uh, we deal with uh, denigration um, uh, in, in within of course uh, the, the confines of uh, uh, of ethnic and racial epithets you know what I mean we deal with uh, all of these uh, racialized monikers Uh, that are to insult, uh, that are to damage, um, uh, and in certain ways that are to create and to shape within the targeted population via um, really vitriolic and vituperative um, phrasing, right, and categorization of the targeted population to, again, inform right and to shape and to engineer and to create and to provoke and or elicit a caliber of consciousness and accordant behavior that will be commensurate with the overall uh, economic and power goals of the dominant population okay so it's very new nuanced uh in his uh, uh application It's it's very uh, calculated, right? It's very systematic in the ways that it manifests itself within the American context with respect to the political designations known as whiteness and blackness, okay? And so that's kind of some uh, 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 summary commentary, you know what I mean? Just really uh, summing up for us. Uh, some of the key themes that we had went over uh, last week in Episode 6 so that we can now, uh, with that uh, context within our consciousness, uh, push a little deeper into the conversation here in Episode 7 as to why the civil rights movement has been a complete blunder and outright failure. And so uh, when we're talking about uh, the politics of piety, with respect to poverty within uh, the very uh, specific context that I just laid bare for you. Then we're speaking about the intentional um, impoverishment of the consciousness of the targeted population. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're talking about power differentials Um, that are so pervasive, that are so profound, uh, that are so powerfully employed, that uh, through the means of reward and punishment, right, whether I'm going to celebrate or whether I'm going to denigrate you with respect to how I control resources, how I control uh, outcomes with respect to um, my goals as a dominant force, as a dominant agency, as a dominant personality. Well, then uh, that almost creates in me the quality—the quality to be both um, projector and progenitor. OK, these are two other piece <laughs> within the context of uh, our foray of the politics, again, of of uh, of poverty and uh, with respect to piety. OK, so the politics of piety and poverty. And so we're talking about how these power differentials that exist. And, and if I'm situated as um the agency who wields power, then it's my job to conserve and to maintain and to sustain that economic power dynamic, right? And so, in order to do that, I do two things, or it creates in me uh, two uh, uh, qualitative um, characteristics, and that is one of a projector and a progenitor. And so, when I'm talking about making projections, then I can. Uh With my mass media mechanistic arm, I can then uh, disseminate propaganda that will become creative. I can, through my use and through my um, complete and other domination of the domain of discourse, I can define what's right, what's wrong, what's moral. What's to be celebrated? what's to be denigrated? Um, what's to be pursued, etc. I literally become creative um, um, under the auspices of uh, of my oppressive values. So all of my values and all of my morality is going to be informed by My need to maintain the leverage of the power differential, right? And so these are the concepts that inform, again, two groups who have been prescribed by uh, political descriptors such as white and black. And when we're talking about white people and black people, we're talking about, um, again, political handles. OK, that are uh, immediately uh, per the expression of such uh, connected um, simultaneously with a code of conduct, with prescriptive policies that are going to instruct and inform and describe the ways in which each should be uh, treated respectively. OK. And so. When we understand that the oppressor okay and i'm I'm going to be using i'm going to be using um uh, paternalistic uh handles right with respect to the oppressor because again we're talking about uh, white males who predominantly and uh, uh, according to history have been at the helm of the racist enterprise that has subsisted uh, in America from its inception. And so there is this uh, male paternal energy that's saying they are the ultimate fathers. They are uh, the, the uh, again, the perennial patriarch. Right. That is going to dictate and design um, the destiny of not only its own uh, biological children, but also its ideological children, um, i.e. the targeted population, i.e. black people. (laughs) And you you see, it's it's creating um, spaces. Right. Um again, uh, as it relates to how it would like to develop in very tangible ways, and how it would like to incarnate um its ideology of supremacy, okay? But in order for it to be recognized as supreme, there has to be somebody who's subpar, okay. And so uh, out of necessity, here we go, we start um, down the path or, or uh, uh, we start the journey of the development of the engineering of the nigger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because the nigger is a political necessity. Um, I'm in conversation all the time, in heavy conversation uh, by way of his books, with um, with Dr. Amos Wilson, man, please read everything he's written. Please check out anything um, that he may have on YouTube by way of recorded lecture. Um, he was just he was a giant, you know, in our community, man. And it would serve all of us well to really uh, ingest and and sort of uh, digest and and then allow. Uh, those two um, uh, allow those two matters of ingestion and and digestion to create in us and to become and to um, invigorate in our own minds uh, many of the um, revolutionary and uh, prescient ideas with respect to um, how we need to resist well that this man trailblazed I'm telling you man He was he was truly a light And so anyway uh, When we're talking about The politics Of piety And poverty And we're, and we're looking at The ways in which this uh, White uh, Patriarch um, and Dealing with concepts now but This white patriarch concept uh, has situated itself to be, again, both projector and progenitor of the society uh, that he would like to bring into fruition. That we understand uh, that through the projections, through the power dynamics, through the dominance of vital life resources, Through the dominance of the domain of discourse, he is now situated himself to create classes of people, to create moral paradigms, um, to create actually, for all intents and purposes, good, evil, law, lawlessness, right? (laughs) All informed, again, uh, in a political sense By the overall economic goal and the need to maintain the leverage that is inherent in the uh, power differentials that have existed by way of violence and overpowering another group. And so, looming, of course, always uh, in the background is the threat of violence okay, Um, unrelenting violence, violence without any means of control, uncontrolled outright violence. And so... As he is creating in himself to be the superior and he is uh, condigning and condemning in the targeted population to be the inferior, what gets set up is a moral programming, a moral apparatus that gets introjected and implanted into the psyche, the suke, the very soul of the targeted population. I was speaking earlier this week with another person and we were, um, we came to terms with the fact that this entire endeavor is interested in the children of the targeted population and in catching them early and introducing and uh, interjecting into them a consciousness of docility very early so that, uh um, It would be normalized in their consciousness to be subservient, um, to be beneath, to be submitted reflexively to the dominance of white oppression without question. I said before in another episode that domination is always seeking to streamline its energetic investment in maintaining oppression. In other words, how can I invest the least energetically and get the highest rate of of return on minimal investment, minimal energetic investment? And so one of the ways to do that is to normalize the conditions that are commensurate with your economic and and power goals into the mind's into the philosophy, into the psychology of the targeted population. So then that way, um, they collaborate with you in the maintenance of their own oppression, in the maintenance of their domination, um, and in the maintenance of their subservience to your power. And uh, it's interesting because... You know, earlier this week, I was reading uh, with my boys and I was trying to help them to understand um, the context that they have been born into. Uh, They're young. They're super young. My boys are one and three. And I was reading to them uh, from a book by author Douglas A. Blackman. Um, This book he had written called Slavery by Another Name. Uh, the reenslavement of Black America, uh, Black Americans, from the Civil War to World War II, and uh, I was chuckling with my mom because when I when I told her, you know, what I was reading to my very young boys, she's like aghast, "Oh my God!" and and clutches her proverbial pearls. <laughs> oh my God, you're gonna scare these boys. You're telling them what you know what racism is, and I had to explain to her. I I said mom, you know, the the caliber of, of opposition that we have to contend with as a group doesn't wait to interject into these boys um a consciousness of of, of subservience uh, a, a a consciousness of um submission and docility. It doesn't wait, you know, I I said even um in a lot of ways, it gets into the epigenetics of oppression. You know, you know, uh, it uh, by again um, creating conditions that will elicit desirable outcomes in the target population with respect to uh, the mother who has yet to give birth to this child. Now you know, you know, biologically that child is eating everything. Or being informed and shaped by everything that the mother is exposed to with respect to her environment. If mom is living in an impressive, um, destructive, disoriented, confusing environment. And her socio-political and economic um, conditions are a depressed one. Well, that's going to inform the quality of food that she eats right the baby's being nourished by subpar uh food with subpar nutritional value right uh and the development of uh his brain and her brain the development of her his or her body is impacted birth weight is impacted um uh, infant mortality rates are impacted. Why? Before they even get here, the the conditions uh, or the psycho political, psychodynamic, socio economic conditions uh, under which uh, these children are conceived instrumentally informed how they are shaped and how they grow. Right, for better or worse. So not only is this child either nourished or malnourished by the very food that mom's intaking, this child is either nourished or malnourished by the very economic and socio-political conditions in which mom has to live, in which mom has to engage, in which mom has to traverse on a day-to-day basis. You know, these children, even before they get here, they take all that in, man They shape all of that And to think that uh, those factors and variables are inconsequential is naive And it's, in this, it's a suicidal naivete If we are to be so um, bereft of insight and sight And to situate ourselves to be decidedly blind in that respect Anyway, um, all of this, what I'm saying um, is part and parcel of our discussion of the politics of piety and poverty with respect to the civil rights movement. I said um, there had to be an impoverishing of the consciousness of the targeted population. And when we look at the civil rights movement and we look at the caliber of morality and the duty of piety, as it were, that would give rise to the kind of behavior that says it is morally expedient for us to allow ourselves to be hosed um, under the full blast of water hoses to subject our women and our children To the vicious bite of police dogs. To turn the other cheek. To love our demonic neighbors as ourselves. To redeem their souls via our spilled blood. um, As a result of their violence, their hatred, and their vitriol. It says a lot, man. I remember in in my readings, you know, that was one of the uh, critical points of critique by Malcolm X when he was alive. It's like, what kind of morality would allow our women and our children to be exposed with such naked vitriol? Uh, to be exposed to such naked violence and didn't call that righteous and call that moral and call that pious. And uh, I would submit to you in agreement with um, the late great Malcolm X that that is an inversion of morality. That is an inversion of morality that serves the power interests of the dominant society. Um, that caliber of sick morality that says rather than finding love in myself, rather than finding uh, capability, aptitude, and and, and developing um, my own area of expertise, I can only feel whole, I can only feel empowered if I am integrated with the dominant society, and I'm, I'm willing to risk life and limb and to spill the blood of my women and my children in order to acquire such. It's an inversion of morality. It's not moral at all. You know what I mean? Who created that morality? Um, who engineered uh, that sick piety? Um, how was that communicated into the minds and the consciousness of of that generation, you know? Why did we feel that we needed to disinvest in our own communities? Why did we feel that we needed to invest in the community uh, who abused us? And continues to abuse us. And so you, you start looking at Stockholm Syndrome. And how you know you develop an affinity for the person that causes you trauma. And that damages you. And you think that you can entreat them via your loyalty and your love and your submission. And you're hoping that you can win them over. Through your docility and through your willingness to be subject um, to unabashed violence, abuse, and trauma. And you think that's power and you think that's love and you think that's laudable. That consciousness for me... Um, serves as a fundamental feature of why the Civil Rights Movement was a failure. It was misguided and misdirected. It was rooted again in the resolution of the perennial insult um, by way of trying to love the very people who would murder uh, your immaterial wealth, and even dispatch you unceremoniously uncere- from the mortal coil, kill your body, kill your mind. But they—they they have to take your mind first. Is the point? Um, when I when I when I said we're dealing with a a a murderous patriarch. In 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 our white fathers, you know what I mean. We're, we're dealing with someone who would make projections and then would serve as a progenitor to the ideological children, um, i.e., the nigger, the negro, uh, well-behaved black people, who through their morality um, offer themselves as lambs to the slaughter. <laughs> that is dumb. Um, uh, before a uh, shearer, you know, uttering not a word, you know, I—it's crazy. It's like that entire movement was informed by some sick martyr complex. <laughs> he thought, that hey, we're gonna die if necessary." To redeem this white man, you know what I mean? To save the world, you know, with our spilled blood, man. And it just leaves us, you know, as a community, vulnerable to all manner of violence. Um, It leaves us vulnerable to the whims of, of proven psychopaths. Seriously, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic here, man, like, (laughs) these people, they have proven by history and by behavior to be um, psychotic, you know, Um, I mean, these are people who, these are people who will lynch you, these are people who will castrate you. These are people who have burned you alive. These are people who have cut babies out of your womb. Uh, These are people who have bombed churches with children in it. Uh, You you get what I mean? Like, but for whatever reason, um, the psychology uh, of the civil rights movement says, these are people that we shouldn't treat and trust with our love with our heart and with our minds and with our very souls. We should trust madmen with what's precious to us. And that to me is just um, moral stupidity. That to me is pious pathology. (laughs) That's what it is. You know what I mean? And it has to be, um, it's politically necessary in order for The power differentials that exist between, um, in political terms, white people and black people. If the American enterprise is to subsist as such, even in its schizophrenia, uh, there has to be a code of conduct or some kind of moral Code. And I'm using these phrases very loosely, tongue-in-cheek, and I'm almost being facetious when I utter them because um, these codes are anything but um, moral. They are, again, the antithesis to what would be moral, what would be just, what would be appropriate, what would be humane. Uh, we're talking about the morality of... A, a, a psychotic and uh, demonically informed um, paradigms here. Seriously, I'm not, I'm not talking about the the spookism of you know, like you know, disembodied spirits and no, no, no. I'm talking about people who have planned, who have engineered, who have sat down. They've weighed the balances with respect to um, their savagery. And the outcomes, the um, murderous outcomes, the genocidal outcomes, the uh, reprehensible outcomes that will furnish um, their economic, air quotes, prosperity. Because I don't even think blood money is um, prosperous to possess. You know what I mean? I really, I really think... Um, they are they are bothered (laughs) i really think so you know what i mean even even like like i know we're saying they're they're psychotic in their behavior but um bothered in the sense that they don't there's no peace um in the sense that um they have to continually be at the throats of people to maintain this power you know what i mean Um, the, the only way they can quote unquote sleep at night is again by doubling down upon, um, the, uh, the schizophrenic paradigm of being the land of the free and the home of the brave, but then having slaves and then, you know, coming up with all kinds of, um, modalities to maintain oppression and so and then having to create you know again through their projections um the caliber of niggers that would justify um their criminality you know like oh the reason why we treated them like this is because they're barbarians you know, oh no, the reason why we have to send extra police into their communities is because they're thugs, they're gang members. Um, without even investigating the means by which a thug or a gang member is created in a sociopolitical uh, context. What are the conditions that create or give birth or, or make for the flowering of Um, these super predators that you now have to utilize um, the most vehement and draconian um, policing in our communities um, the world over, you know what I mean? Like, what is that about? So it's not even so much that... um, We are intrinsically criminal, um, contrary to a white political opinion, contrary to the projections of white supremacy. So, oh, this group is this way, and this is why, you know, our moves are necessary and right and prudent and appropriate. No, not at all. Um, You are creating a narrative with respect to the power That maintains the differentials and that creates the the conditions and that now um, substantiates projections through your creative prowess to be the progenitor of all kinds of malady, confusion and disorganization in the targeted population um, such that you can justify your own barbarity. I forget who the author was. Um, who says uh, in order for uh, the white man to behave um, barbarically towards a targeted population, they have to first um, describe the targeted population as such. Oh, no, they're barbarians. That's why we have to behave barbarically towards filling the blank. All of what I'm saying right now informs the cultivation again of a malignant morality of, of a pernicious piety um, that has been in, in, interjected and engineered into the targeted population per their psyche, their psyche, their soul, their consciousness, mass media messaging, Rewards, punishments, etc., um, that will elicit from the targeted population in the American context the caliber of nigger um, that would be self sabotaging and self defeating. And in my opinion, the civil rights movement was self sabotaging and self defeating. Um, in its scope, because it had taken um, at face value the moral codes, the again, the value system of the dominant society as unquestionable and right and aspirational. And something to embody. And as a result of such, um, it caused our community to atrophy in its own development of its own powers to, rather than join oppression, to resist it um, with the intent to overthrow and in real terms, and concrete terms, overcome and not just in songs. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, <laughs> I really try to keep these things as short as possible. And um, I don't want to uh, weary your patience any longer than I already have. But I do think these, these kinds of conversations are vitally important. And I think... Um, that it, we really have to be bold enough, and we really have to uh, be courageous in how um, in how we ascertain either the value or lack thereof of movements um, um, that have movements that have situated. The, itself in, in in this respect and in this context, the civil rights movement, which has situated itself as successful. It hasn't, it wasn't successful. It was doomed from the beginning, you know, um, because it, it wasn't rooted in uh, a conscious development of self-sufficiency. It wasn't. It was rooted in, uh, number one, a, a martyr complex a messianic complex, an inversion of a messiah, because you think you're going to save these white people by, you know, being willing to sacrifice your your women and children, and to, you know, uh, uh, unmitigated and unabashed violence. You think, oh, we're going to appeal to their conscience and we're going to appeal to their heart, and it's going to be love. And no, it was sick. It was a sick love, um, and uh, and so it wasn't rooted in uh, the development of. A sense of worth intrinsic to, to the yourself. That's one. Um, two, it, it lacked uh, economic consciousness. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? It, it, it lacked uh, a sensibility with regard to ensuring um, that an economic floor would, would, would be established so that then the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of the Civil Rights Movement would have something of substantive worth to carry forward into the future uh, the future uh, undertaking of resisting oppression and ultimately overthrowing it Uh, it was a blind movement it was a it was a. It wasn't um, proactive. It was it was a reactionary, emotional, reflexive, uh, love sick movement, man. Really, Stockholm syndrome, man. Just an affinity for our oppressor and those who will cause us trauma. And so looking to be, um, looking really to become white people, you know what I mean? For like, you know, Because we had taken in, again, their values and we mistakenly thought uh, that being in their spaces was prestigious and something to be um, sought after. I got to come in for a landing. Listen, it's not just about parsing out the problem, uh, but it's also about shining a light uh, on those people in your community who are doing an, an incredible work here locally um, in Hampton Rose. Hampton Rose is regional black chamber of commerce, black brand, black brand biz. If you're industrious, endeavor to be industrious. If you're entrepreneurial, endeavor to be entrepreneurial, you need to link yourself with a network and a nexus of powerful, like-minded individuals who have your economic well-being and overall interest at heart. Black Brand, blackbrand.biz, 150-year economic plan in the making specifically for black people. Um, We're still laying the groundwork. It's crazy. We're, We're three episodes in to this series as to why the civil rights movement was a failure, and we're still just getting at the surface. I'm gonna to have to pivot. I might have to make a hard pivot to move the conversation along because we we still didn't even get into um, the Montgomery bus boycott and um, you know all of the economic implications thereof. And 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 we will. I'm gonna take my time actually with this because this is an important conversation, we're still dealing with um, the tormented soul, really, of the civil rights movement, the disfigured, immaterial capital and reality of that entire enterprise um, because it is or has been and continues to be right in the current because we're still very much informed by this failed enterprise, um, a movement that that was bereft of self-love. We never stopped to love ourselves. We only stopped to, we only sought, rather, to be loved by everyone else. But the thing is, integral to love is respect. How can the people respect the people who have not, endeavor to develop respect for themselves Um, a people who who really um, just avail themselves to abuse and trauma in hopes that they could be accepted who can accept that who can accept somebody who sees victimhood as moral. I want to be a sheep. You know, I want to be the sacrificial lamb. You know, I want to be the submissive martyr. These are not values. These are not values <laughs> that should be pursued, man. Um, uh, these are poisons. These are poisons of the soul. Okay. It's a poison piety that lends itself to a pernicious poverty and it serves the socio-political and socio-economic ends of the dominant population. Man, I got to go. Listen, um, I'm signing off and love peace and confrontation. Um, black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we Tell our sons, let's get out here and be the light. Let's do something revolutionary. Um, Again, let's fully capitalize on the inexhaustible energetic ingenuity that's resonant within the melanated mind and overall black experience. And um, at all costs, let's resist being fraudulent, but let's acquire real power and not just the symbology of the same. I sign off in love, peace, and confrontation. Until next time, be safe.